Welcome everyone to another special interview episode of Chat Grapple and Cheap Pops podcast. I am Chris Dredd. I'm here with my main man, Jay to the B. How's it going, big man? We are all good. Gravy, baby. It, well, you know, today, another special episode. We're fresh off the back of our episode with Bishop, the homie from Terrible Wrestling Take. Shout out to our man every time. Um, we are going into the British world of wrestling today, very much so, with someone who was integral. He lived it. He lived it. He was there from through the good times, through the bad times, then the good times, and then the slightly bad times again. And he's still in the business. He's still doing bits and bobs. Um, really excited to have him on. He is someone who, when I think of British wrestling, I can hear his voice. So yeah. it is one of those things that we're just really excited to have him on. So JB, anything to say, bruv? No, let's get to it. Without further ado, let's uh, let's go. Let's party started. Welcome, everyone, to another very special episode of Chat Grapple and Cheap Pops podcast. I am Chris Dredd. I'm here with my main man, JB. And today is a very special episode. We've got someone incredible with us. Um, he is the voice of British wrestling in an era that was absolutely fantastic. He was littered through anything that you would watch uh, British wrestling wise. Uh, he's incredible. Thanks for joining us today. He is the twisted genius, Mr. Dean Ayas. How are you doing, Dean? Hello. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. And do this. Uh, it's been it's been a busy old time, but um, but yeah, I'm doing well. How are you guys? We're all right, man. We're we're just happy to have you on because we're we've we've got some British guys lined up um for for other interviews and we've kind of because we've only really had American guys on. We've had Sonny Ono, obviously um involved with WCW, but yeah. um we we just love British wrestling. We wax lyrical about it on various shows, especially when you've got people like Dave Taylor, William Regal on the WCW shows. We go into little you know, uh, we go off on little tangents about how amazing British wrestling is. And you've been on the scene, been there, done that, got the T-shirts, got the stories. And we're just hoping that you can uh, tell us some of those today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been well, been around since nine, the very end of 1993 I started. So, uh, yeah, part of the furniture, I think. Did you, um, I heard that you debuted with Dougie Williams around the same time as Doug. Yeah, we debuted on the very first show. Um, he, I remember he actually, uh, he picked me up from Brighton Station and we drove to uh, Folkestone. It was the first show we ever did. Um, yeah, November sometime. It was, well, it was the week, it was the, the weekend of the Saturday after the first ever UFC. So whatever the date of the UFC was, it was oh. a week after that one. So yeah, sometime in November 93. Wow. Um, and it was... Um, it was a show at the the original Hammerlock School of Wrestling, which was literally a garage perched on a clifftop in Folkestone. And you kind of worried that every time someone took a bump, that it would just gradually be collapsing off the cliff. But we, we survived. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was um, that was a, a long time ago. He was Doug was a, a high flyer with long ginger hair at that point, and he he let's just say he evolved. <laughs> he definitely he evolved into probably one of the greatest wrestlers this country's ever produced. Um, the the Hammerlock School and the Dropkick Schools um, have literally just pumped out some incredible talent. Um, who, who are the main trainers? I know uh, 
uh, Dino Scarlo was. Yeah, I mean, Hamelock was was set up by Andre Baker, um, who passed away about ten years ago, I think now, um, and. I think, oh yeah, my my understanding is that he he was um, a bit, almost like a bit of an outcast in British wrestling. I think he didn't like the the traditional direction of British wrestling, and um, and wrestling was a very much a closed shop in those days. And and he was literally the first person to say to the general public, "Do you want to be a wrestler? Here's how you do it. Here's coming. Yeah, he opened the door." Um, and so because he was like the only the only guy in the in the country doing that, he would have people come from all over. Um, and within a few years, he'd do um, summer camps for a week um, down on the Kent coast. And, and he'd have people come from all over the country. He had a guy come down for the week from Cumbria uh, called Johnny Moss, who you know, had a stellar career and is, is now a trainer in his own right. So, yeah, yeah so Andre was the main guy um, who ran it. Um, but then he would get, yeah, other people do it. I mean, he'd do some of the training. I think as time went on, he'd sit behind the desk drinking coffee and getting <laughs> delegating the roles. Um, Dino was definitely, yeah, Dino was one of the people who who certainly was a was a big help and a real veteran of the wrestling scene in back in those days. Um, as was Jackie Palo Jr., who was part of that scene as well. Um, yeah. So you had a bit of experience with those youngsters. But yes, yeah, so many, so many people that came out of that school. I think it it took it took you know it was it was only after Andre had passed away and a few years had passed and people kind of take, took a step back and looked at the body of of work that the Hammerlock School of Wrestling had produced that you know they realised my goodness this this is something special because you know you've got a place that produced doug williams fergal devitt finn balor mm. zach saber jr um all you know all from all from the same place and there's not many places that can can claim a record like that that's uh that's incredible um dean sorry to butt in you are the co-host of because wcw yeah hey. Tons of fun wrestling podcasts based on something we both love, WCW, or everyone loves. Two-part question. Why WCW? And why why not um why not necessarily a British wrestling thing where you could have just you could have dished the dirt and had billions of followers and listeners? Um it it all came about when um the guy who I hosted with, Liam Happ, who's a, a sports journalist, he was, um, I think at the time he worked for Yahoo, he now works for DAZN Boxing, um, big wrestling fan, someone I've known for years myself. And um, it was when, there's a company I, I do some stuff for called Hooked on Wrestling. We do um, pay-per-view viewing parties. We just recently did AEW All Out. We did SummerSlam before that. I'm sure we'll, we'll go into that in a, in a bit. But um, we did a um, spoken word tour with Bruce Pritchard. Um, something to wrestle with kind of on the road podcast tour and um, Liam came up to me at the um, at the end of the London one he may have had something to drink and um, he proposed this idea of do you, would you like to do a podcast about WCW because there's not an awful lot out there and it'd be kind of niche and we'd you know we'd, we'd get a little core following and and I absolutely loved WCW back in the day um and, and uh, I just jumped at the chance, said, yep, let's do it. That sounds great. So um, it's it's such a, a 
crazy, crazy story. It, it's it's one of those things. I mean, we've we've just celebrated a hundred episodes. We had um we had an interview with Lance Storm as our as our last one. So yeah, if you go to um because www.podbean.com or just put because www to wherever you get your podcast from, you'll find it. Oh, yeah, we'll make sure we'll make sure we have it along the bottom. So Excellent. we'll have the just, we'll have the Twitter just, on there as well. Yeah, just just down there somewhere. There you That's go. right, absolutely. Um, and um yeah, it's just one of those things the, the more the more you look into it, the deeper you dig, the more fascinating it becomes. Because you just you talk to these people and you find out. I mean, Lance Storm gave us a couple of stories that I've never heard before. I've not, not heard them published anywhere. So yeah, you, you just discover these things and then you speak to someone else and you you get more crazy WCW stories. So it's it's the gift that keeps on giving, I guess you could say. And yeah, we do watch alongs of Nitro episodes. We do pay-per-view reviews. We do all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's fun. There's, there is, when it's good, it's very, very good. And when it's bad, my God, it's fucking awful. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah. What was that show we sat through? Uh, uh, we, we reviewed uh, Jordan and it had like all the old, um, like uh, bikers round. It was oh, uh, that'd be Road Wild or Hog Wild. Oh no, this was, was this was sold out. This was sold a... out, oh, and it was the NWO. They took over everything. Oh, they had their own pay per view. Yes, that's right. And they played everyone's music was just the NWO music, and anyone who weren't in the NWO didn't have any music. Yeah, just... and it was just like yeah. someone saying he sucks, he's ugly. You know, like it was incredible. It was like Ted DiBiase and um, what was it? What was he called? The Trillion. Trillionaire Ted. Trillionaire Ted. (laughs) (laughs) It was fucking awful. But, but, you know, it's entertaining. And, you know, I I mean, we do interviews and we've interviewed mainly, I've got had a couple of, uh, we've had Chris Hamrick, we had Sonny Ono from WCW, but we've got, uh, we're not going to spill the tea just yet, but we've got one lined up of someone who was massive in WCW. So that's coming up soon. I'll give you a shout when that one um, drops, when it's confirmed to the date. Um, But yeah, this guy was there pretty much from the beginning all the way through. So hopefully you'll enjoy that one Um, because we, we just, we take WCW for what it was. I mean, it's it's definitely like a, a rise and fall kind of thing, you know. It yeah. really was. It 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 was really shit late eighties, early nineties. Got really good. That's your opinion, Chris. That's not the opinion of the whole show. No, 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 no. All right, well, all right. I say that, but I'm here. I'm obviously, I, I, you know, I love. I've got so much memorabilia from that time and it wasn't 1989 nwa was tremendous it was that was tremendous the great american bash 89 and and halloween havoc and clash of the champions nine flavy funk all of that was tremendous and then yeah it did it dipped in the like maybe 1991-92. I absolutely loved fantastic Um, that's where they're big in the uk because they have david boy smith come over and then 94 hogan comes and the 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 product quality drops but the numbers go up and then obviously 96 the nwo angle and boom it explodes 
Yeah. And I mean, the, the first episode that we ever did, we looked at Starcade 97 and we deliberately chose that because A, it was the biggest show they ever did, but you can also trace back the, the downfall of WCW starts, the roots are at that show because they blew the Hogan Sting angle match, storyline, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Because Hogan's ego wouldn't allow him to lose cleanly. And they had the, the fast count from Nick Patrick and all that stuff. Yeah. And and had 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 things been different, then who knows? But I mean one one thing, I mean there, there was never one thing in particular that, that that you can pinpoint as the reason behind the death of WCW, but one thing that everybody mentions as a major factor was the fact that these guys had creative control in their contract. Um, and they could just turn around and say no. So, I mean, one one thing Lance Storm said to us when we, we spoke to him recently was like that Nitro was booked, literally was booked week from week. They didn't know what they are doing one week to the next because you couldn't, make long-term storylines because if you had a long-term storyline for say randy savage and on week three he's like no i don't want to do that anymore you you had to go with that because he had creative control in his contract that's crazy controlling seven figure sums over a year like it almost sounds a little familiar i'm not gonna take that much of a dive onto that right now but (laughs) yeah um i mean do do you some people do draw comparisons with AEW and WCW and obviously you know with with the fact of you know Dusty's son being involved and all this kind of stuff the TNT stuff Sting being there yeah um, we have spoken as well about people say ultimately Tony Khan does have the final say on it but when you've when you've got um, a booking committee of the Young Bucks um kenny omega and 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 guys who are active roster wrestlers and they've actually got the gold and they have had the gold for quite a while um they only just i mean spoiler alert if you haven't seen all out um the bucks aren't the champions anymore but um you know you can see why people draw the comparisons but do, do can you see any similarities and i mean you know yeah, you... i mean there, there is yeah the obvious comparison as you say they're on tnt and the good thing, the positive is that they are providing, or the, I think they will certainly now we've got the, the people that they've got in, they'll be providing a, a viable alternative in competition to the WWE. And, you know, my God, we've needed that because oh, yeah. in a monopoly is, is just terrible. It gets, it gets lazy because they don't, they don't have to try basically. Mm. Um, yeah, you look at the Attitude Era was you know the most successful era that the WWF had ever had, and that was all born out of reacting to the competition in in WCW. Um, I think the it's it's hard to say right now because um, Cody, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, they're all you know the the peak of their game. They're all they're, they're all able to perform at that top level. So I think even if they were nothing to do with the the booking they would still be in those positions that they're in and you know the young bucks have shown you know they've they've i remember them putting over private party in the first round of the tag team tournament they've I've said they lost this week there's at this moment in time at least you know there doesn't appear to be any issues around them putting people over and it, it makes sense that they'd be at the top of the card not just for the reasons that um of the fact that they're 
that, that they're very good at what they do. But because they are part of the the back office, you know they're going to be there at every show. You you don't have to worry about them going off somewhere else or 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 screwing you over and turning up in another promotion. They are they are there. Um, so it all makes sense. I think the the tester will be when they start getting a bit older and it's time to move them down down the card. Um, you know, like for example, Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian, veterans who you know they they weren't at the top of the card, but they're working with younger guys and bringing them up. And I'd imagine Christian Cage might go down that route in a little while as well. Um, so it's then, yeah, when if your your ego gets in the way as such, but the the atmosphere that you the, the feeling you get coming out of there isn't like that at the moment. I mean, I think it's hugely significant that the very first words to come out of CM Punk's mouth when he debuted on on Rampage was putting over Britt Baker. Um, so they you know they are they are, seem to be keen to develop new talent and push people, and we've seen people come through starting at the bottom and working their way up like jungle boy you know, eddie kingston being brought in as a one-off and then being signed to a contract so there's there does feel like there is a different a different atmosphere and and the fact that they've now brought in punk and they've brought in danielson to me that is the equivalent of our this generation's equivalent of hall and nash jumping to wcw but the difference is like i said this on twitter recently that hall and nash were interested in putting themselves over and making themselves as much money and screw everyone else that's the impression you get from watching things whereas punk and danielson you get that they they have more of a, like a holistic love of wrestling and they want to just get things moving for this company and, and help nurture the, the new talent I mean, I'm a massive MJF, Mark. I think oh, he's tremendous, just absolutely tremendous. And, uh, you know, he's like, uh, he is like an old school heel. And uh, Jericho's been working with him for quite a while. Um, you know, I do think that um, I, we spoke, we said this on the last episode. I'd love to see um, MJF interrupt CM Punk at some point and call him Philip. You know, and just literally just give him the MJF treatment. I think mm. it'd be incredible. Um, you know, so I mean, we're, we're hoping as well um, that AEW does become huge and does become. I mean, it already is massive. Um, it already is being seen. I mean, can I be honest as well? I I actually, I, I'm pretty sure you'll agree as well. I don't think maybe WWE took AEW as seriously as they should have done. No. They definitely haven't thrown money at certain people that they should have thrown money at, or at least tried to give them something. But I mean, someone like Adam Cole, I don't know if they were ever going to be able to keep him. Um, I think, yeah, I think Adam Cole with, with, with Vince and Bruce Pritchard taking over NXT, I think Adam Cole saw the writing on the wall he wasn't going to fit in that that made total sense to me for him to go i think they probably could have kept brian danielson but from from what we read he wanted to to go out to japan and he it sounds like with with danielson he wanted to ex, like expand his repertoire artistically right you know he's made the money he's, he's, he's the, and the same with cm punk he's made the money it isn't about money this is about just doing something for their own for their own good but i mean going back to to mjf Absolutely, you're, you're spot on. He's tremendous. I mean, I, I worked with him on a couple of shows shortly before AEW was formed. He came over for IPW. Um, oh, shit. And, 
and pissed I missed it. Yeah, he was uh he he did a couple of shows for us and just absolutely tremendous. It's there's there's a few people that you look at them and you look at everything they do and you just know you just say to yourself, they've got it it they they get it they get yeah. wrestling and jericho is one you know the way that jericho was always reinventing himself um you know as a, even as a, a cocky heel in wcw he was he was making he was funny but he wasn't he wasn't making himself a cool heel he was funny but making himself look a dick and and putting the the, the baby faces over then when he was in wwe constantly reinventing himself mjf is another one that yeah he just understands he's all you know on on twitter he's in character all the time i mean i remember i remember just tagging him in a post promoting one of the shows saying i'll be commentating on this and haven't seen these guys live and i can't remember what he said but yeah he he basically said something in character putting me down and the you know, and we and we had this back and forth twitter exchange both totally in character, both totally understanding what we were doing. And well, I've had it before where, yeah, you have a, a Twitter exchange with someone, especially an American that I find that they can take themselves a bit too seriously sometimes and, and they get a bit shitty with it. And, but he got it. And the other person who absolutely gets it. And when he retires, must be kept on by whatever company kept on is is a uh, spud drake maverick whatever you want to call him he absolutely understands every single thing he's doing he's tremendous man i've i've watched with we, we we have seen spud grow from yeah it's been actually an incredible journey for for him he, you know from just being spud and then rockstar spud and then, you know, what he did with TNA, yeah. he was incredible with TNA. Um, you know, then he, he went, you know, even the fact that he was fired from WWE and then was able to kind of just make it work. And they was like, actually, no, we, we need this guy, you know, it's and again, it's we've spoken about it before on the podcast. British wrestling, we have created some in this country, some of the most fantastic workers who just get it, you know, and are just yeah. technically absolutely brilliant um, on the stick. Absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, and I, I don't know what it is about this country. I think it is probably the rich um, legacy of British wrestling that we've had going through from you know, very, very early on, you know, it, you look in what, 60 years of, of, of at least 60 years of this kind of. Yeah. History. No, absolutely. I mean, if, if, do you remember wrestle talk TV on challenge that they absolutely. had on after uh, impact? I was, I was a guest on there several times. And I remember at one point I said, uh, and, and I stand by this today. I said, British wrestlers are the best in the world. I genuinely believe that. Agreed. Uh, that's not me you know, being patriotic and waving the little flag. That is my genuine belief. Because you you think about the size of this country. We're a population of about 60 million compared to the size of the U US or the population in Japan, which is a lot bigger, or Mexico. Um, the, the the ratio of you know good wrestlers, great wrestlers to to one population is is unparalleled. Um and yeah, we you you look at um, you look at NXT, the WW what, the WW Performance Center. Two of their main trainers are Robbie Brookside and Johnny Moss, both you know legends of British wrestling. I mean, Norman Smiley is also 
you know, technically British, but he, he grew is. up in, in the States, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't count him in that as the wrestling pedigree. Didn't they um, um, have Dave Taylor as well? Dave, yeah, they Dave had Nigel Taylor. McGuinness. Yeah, um, Dave Taylor's gone over, trained there, Nigel McGuinness. Yeah. Um, Johnny Saint went over there as yeah. well. Uh, James Mason does a lot with with the uh, UK Performance Centre, and, and and you know, and a lot of the the UK guys that started out in in NXT UK are then uh, are moving over to um to, to to the NXT in the US. So you know, Pete Dunne, um, um, the Grizzled Young Veterans. Now you've got Kaylee Ray's relocated over there. Um, my old mate Martin. Um, uh, Danny Birch, he he is um he's been over there for several years as well. Yeah. Um and yeah, and they've all got a different so yeah, Martin so Dan Danny Birch, um Martin Stone who's known Martin as Stone, over yeah. Here, yeah. Yeah. Um of someone I've worked very, very closely with over the years. He you know, he he can do the the technical wrestling, but yeah, his his style was a lot more of a hard nosed brawler. But even with that he brings that kind of tough, hard-nosed football hooligan-style character across, which you don't, you know, an American couldn't portray because they don't understand that culture. They don't have that in the in the US. So you got something unique there. He, um, he was so over at the UK Championships in Blackpool. It was uh, the the songs about Danny Burch just going on like the minute he walked out. It was it was almost as if he was the most popular guy there yeah. until until Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne had sort of you know, worked the, the two nights and made themselves the stars of the show. Yeah. The songs were just all about Danny Birch. It was it was just such a... I mean, it wasn't something I was expecting when I got there. Like I was, you know, I didn't know what I was expecting, to be fair. It was just one of those like, sort of crazy, crazy weekends. But, yeah, the Danny Birch things, it was just, it was incredible to see, like, just wild singing and almost, almost a football atmosphere when he came out. It was yeah, and and it always makes me laugh because when when we have the UK shows that get shown on, on the network and American fans watch, and one of the things I hear from so many people is, how does everyone know the tunes? Because <laughs> and, and you try and explain, well, these are like these are football songs. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, and um, from I mean, I'm not a I'm not a, an NFL fan by at all. I don't know anything about it, but from what I gather, like. Any any crowd chants in American football are like "Let's go!" insert name of team and things like that. Whereas, you know, we have all all manner of songs. You know, I mean, I'm an Ipswich Town fan. We have a variety of songs, lots of which are about Delia Smith um, and, <laughs> uh, and and where she can put sausages and things like that. <laughs> um, but. You know, it's it's just, and you see it, you see it on forums, like, oh, you know, this player's arrived, right? What song can we sing about him? And yeah, it's it's just, yeah. So someone makes it their responsibility to go away and think of a, a tune, a popular popular tune that you can make a song about this footballer too. So yeah, it's just it's just the culture over here. The um the the British crowds are, you know, we we um. We did the WWF shows. We've reviewed those, the, the the UK ones, and the crowds are absolutely rabid because they were just hungry, really hungry for for wrestling in general. And the fact yeah. that the WWF, you know, brought these guys over, you know, it was it was incredible. You know, the one that was at the Docklands Arena that we did was um the the mate. What what was it, uh, Jordan? The one Carnage, wasn't it? 
Or yeah, Capital Carnage. That's right, Capital Carnage. It was the crowd was just absolutely crazy, and they had, like you say, the football horns. You know, the the chanting Vinnie Jones was on there. You know, giving yeah. people red cards and yellow cards and that. You know, and it's um, you you hear it in 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 the crowds. You know that 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 kind of culture. We we just absolutely love it. It's um, it's it's incredible as well because the top guys in wrestling at the moment. You could see the majority of them on this show. Um, so, I mean, yes. AJ Styles um, is still going great guns in WWE. Um, I mean, obviously, CM Punk, he's come back uh, recently yeah. to AEW. You've got Samoa Joe, who's now come back to NXT. He's got Strap. Um, you know, it's just absolutely just filled with stars and one match that i i think is absolutely incredible is we've spoken about these old this this uh kind of british wrestling tradition the steve gray mal sanders match i do you know what i loved incredible on that I, oh. out of out of all all the matches we had there there was something special about that for me because i grew up as a kid what you know watching that style and and listening to kent walton's commentary so i mean if you listen to that show when it comes to that match i am I, i'm not trying to like imitate kent walton because no one could do that but i i certainly kind of bring the tone bring my tone of voice down a bit and and it's softer and calmer um and one one thing one thing that i learned from watching kent walton as a commentator is that you don't have to be talking all the time because your job as a commentator is to enhance the viewing experience. So it's like if, if I'm commentating on Steve Gray, Mal Sanders and Steve Gray puts a wrist lock on, there's no point in me saying Steve Gray with a wrist lock because you can see that. So I'd say like, Steve Gray with a wrist lock, he's trying to keep control of his opponent. By, by moving him around there and he can link, you know, if he's got the wrist lock on, he can then grab the arm, he can do other moves. You, 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 add, you add information to, to, to what you're telling people to make it a better experience. Um, you know, in the same way you, you watch a football match, you can see that so-and-so's on the ball and you can see that he's got someone to the left of him and someone to the right of him, whatever. You, you want to you wanna get that, that understanding from a from an ex pro as to why they're doing something it's it's a similar thing with with wrestling. It I, I thought it was incredible when you you commentating there and you you describe how a sunset flip isn't called a sun it wasn't called a sunset flip double leg Nelson. That's the fit. It was a double yeah. leg Nelson. It's shit like that that I just fucking love, man. It's yeah. like it's that tradition. Incredible. Yeah, and and yeah, I'd never yeah I. I'd never until until the I'm, I remember the very first time that they showed WWF wrestling on ITV um, as part of the the, the wrestling package. It, it used to always be joint promotions. Then they had uh, joint promotions for about two month two weeks of the month and All Star for one week and WWF for one week, and and that was one of the sort of the death knells of British wrestling because you know you one week you'd have. You'd have Pat Roach and Rasputin in Digbeth Town Hall in front of a thousand people, and then the next week you'd have Hogan and Savage lumberjack match, twenty thousand people at Madison Square Garden. It that's just right, yeah. It didn't compare, and that's that's something else. I've I've had discussions on Twitter with Dave Meltzer about this, and he, you can, uh, you can tell he doesn't understand that in this country we don't have, or we certainly didn't in the in the eighties, we didn't have the big big venues. 
I mean, we don't we have a handful in this country now, but you had like Wembley Arena that they ran once or twice a year, which was a 10,000 capacity. And other than that, you were in halls that held one, one and a half thousand people every, each time. That's right. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, with, with watching the, the WWF, it was like, what's the sunset flip? What's an atomic drop? I've never heard of these because an atomic drop was a base of the spine drop. Yeah. And you think, well, you know, a sunset flip with because the wrestler's going over like that, like the sunset makes perfect sense, sounds a lot better. And and so yeah, you you, you had the evolution of these these moves, and and British wrestling now is is more really American wrestling with a British accent than 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 British wrestling itself. But but yeah, um, I I just remember yeah, I that brought back memories of of my childhood. But that show actually, um, I was. I was working backstage at the International Showdown show itself. I was like working the, as they call it now, working in the gorilla position, getting the guys ready, making sure people are going out in time, filming a few promos backstage. There's a there's a promo in a in a bar with CM Punk, and I remember filming that and just that that was a one take job and being absolutely blown away because I didn't know much about him at the time, but just being blown away at this guy's promo ability, which obviously you know, <laughs> pipe bomb comes along 15 years later or whatever. So yeah. Um, but they actually then flew me to Dublin to record the commentary in post-production. And I did that at the, um, the Wrestling Channel Studios in Dublin. So um, I was flown in and out in a day, um, which was an experience. That was a great time. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't done live. It was done in post-production. Um, two, a two-part question. This first question means nothing, really. Um, Will you be looking to take any uh, commentating tips off of Donald Trump this weekend? He's, uh, he's doing Triller and doing the fights over there. And um, the second one is way more serious. It's uh, how do you what what is the state of British wrestling for you? How how do you feel? What's uh, what's keeping you kicking and what's pissing you off? I think the day that I take any tips on anything in life from Donald Trump is the day they put me in a little in a little home or something. Um, <laughs> The uh, the state of British wrestling, it's interesting because I think we're we're not there yet in that we're not fully up and running yet. I think yeah, it's it, we've 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 noticed. Oh, I've I've noticed that um, some promotions are running more shows than than others. But um, what I guess what a lot of people won't know is that there's still a lot of venues that are. Um, not yet comfortable with having wrestling at their shows. Um, and I think that's because of the, the, not just the close physical proximity of the competitors, but yeah, you've got dives to the outside. And so you, you know, you, how, if you're sitting in the front row, you can't socially distance or anything from a wrestler diving towards you. So there's, there's a lot of places that are quite reticent at the moment. I think it's going to take until the next calendar year for maybe a little bit of, of normality, hopefully to, to come into, into things. Um, but I, I think if there's one word I'd sum up, I'd say it's recovery because there's a lot of things British wrestling is recovering from. It's recovering from well, COVID, as we've just said, which obviously the whole country is recovering from that. Um, it's recovering from losing a lot of top stars to NXT UK and, and elsewhere, but, but mainly you know, independent stars getting signed up by them. And then while we've been in the pandemic, obviously we've had... The, everything going on with, with speaking out and so there's a there's a recovery and a, and a learn from from there um and i mean i've noticed for example with um with fight nation the promotion i'm involved with um as a commentator 
uh, and I'm part of their their committee as well. That that thing, I mean, some things that were there already are now like in writing. So we have a code of conduct for wrestlers. We have a code of conduct for fans. Um, we have safety officers backstage who are you know that that will be clearly visible. Um, I mean, we always had. Uh, separate dressing areas for for male and female competitors, but now it's written, documented that we we have to have that. We and we have to have a paramedic, which we had before anyway. Um, so and, and also those people are getting um, contracts signed sent over to them with notification of dates and and getting deposits paid to them and things that are very you know that, that I haven't had before I've I've never signed a wrestling contract in my life everything I've ever done in wrestling has been based on a, on a handshake and you know I just I accept the world is changing things are different and things need to be a bit more official and a bit more professional um yeah we've got disciplinary procedures if if something happens so even if even if like the, the the head of the promotion was accused of something improper there will be procedures in place to, to hear that and to, to deal with the situation. Um, and obviously we had a, an all party parliamentary group that I was, I was um, part of that inquiry as well, where, where, um, yeah, they've looked at, at what's, what was, had been happening and that, you know, that just having that gravity to things give, you know, lends it more, more credibility. So, um, and I think with, with training schools as well, that, you know, that's where they've, they're talking about making wrestling training classified as a sport so that then um, coaches are bound by the same uh, laws as like a football coach or a rugby coach or whatever, where... where like yeah, vetted. Yeah, most most jobs. Well, a, yeah, I mean, A, vetted, but, but B, it's about... The, uh, and we heard stories about this during speaking out where like, it, that you'd have a, a trainer who would then be, become sexually involved with a, a 17 year old trainee. Um, yeah. And by, at the moment, by law, there is nothing illegal about that because it's over the age of consent. But obviously there's a, there's a massive moral um, wrongdoing there. It's like the power dynamic, isn't it? That's yeah, the- yeah. And this is where, um, it's law at the moment for sport coaches that even you know even if it's even if they're above the age of consent you're in a position of authority and influence and power therefore it's you know, you you cannot you cannot do anything the same my other half's a teacher and you know, obviously the, you know the every any teacher even if they're teaching people that are sick formers they they by law they cannot get um involved in a relationship with and rightly so with with those pupils it's so it, they're trying to put that in the same in the same category which at least would give people some some legal protection so yeah it's going to be it's it's going to be a long it's going to be a long road i think the the thing that the thing that um that everyone needs to be aware of or, or realize is that you're never going to be able to stop someone from having um i you know have, having the the thoughts the temptation of doing something wrong if that is their mindset what because that's their mindset you can't change that what people we, are going to be dicks yeah exactly yeah what we can control is the opportunity to to do that so yeah we you know by by um by having these by having these um um 
guidelines and, and policies backstage at a wrestling show or in a training school, you are lessening the opportunity for anyone who wants to do anything wrong to do that, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that realistically, I think that's that's what, you know, not just in wrestling, in society in general, you know, that's what, that's as much as you can do. And then if, and I think, I think the other thing that I, and I've certainly learned this and, and I'm sure other people have as well, is if you see, if you see something that doesn't quite look right, be nosy and go and ask and check that someone's okay. Because you know, I've, I've, um, I've, I've read before about people who, uh, who came out about being in abusive relationships. And I remember seeing, you know, the, the, the girl at a show looking upset and her boyfriend was in the vicinity as well. And I, assumed they'd had an argument and I'm like I don't want to get involved and actually with the benefit of the perfect benefit of hindsight absolutely I should have gone over there and said are you okay now whether she would have said anything to me or confided in me who knows I, you know probably probably not but at least you're giving them the opportunity to say something um and and, and things like yeah, making making people aware of 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 phone numbers they can call, emails they can send, web websites they can visit, whatever, so that they can, you know, they they've got a they've got a place well, to speak out as the as the name of the movement goes. Um, I mean, in a, in a way, I I think that coronavirus and all the COVID lockdowns and stuff like that actually enabled speaking out to happen because you had a lot of wrestlers. In the people just kind of on the internet, um, a lot of people maybe thinking about their career paths and stuff like that, and it kind of created an atmosphere where it kind of let this stuff come out. I mean, there was a, there was a few cases and ones that Jordan and myself and whatnot have been aware of that what happened before speaking out. Um, you know, um, but speaking out as a general movement, I think the coronavirus and COVID restrictions and that actually it might have been a good thing in a way where it's allowed all the kind of shit to come to the surface and enable yeah. that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right in that it's it helped these things come out because you just don't know. And we never will, though, because obviously it, it didn't happen. But you just don't know had, you know, if someone did some, there might have been someone who wanted to say something, but they're booked on the same show as me next week. Or, yep. um, or yeah, or I'll have to see them in a few weeks time or I'll have to face their face, their friends or fans or read about this and might Absolutely. react to me. Yeah. So yeah, that may I mean well yeah that may very well have, have made people hesitant to 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 come out and speak about these things. So I, I think yeah I think it's it's no coincidence that that happened because yeah it gave people that kind of a, a, a breathing space while nothing's happening, mm. um, and that's what I mean when I said that you know we don't really know quite where things are going to end up yet because we're we're only just starting shows up so i mean I've, i have seen like we have one promotion who who hired someone who had um accusations made against them um and i'm choosing my words carefully because obviously there's you know leap from a legal perspective as yeah. far as i'm aware no charges have been made so you have to use words like allegedly and stuff and that doesn't mean we don't believe people it's absolutely yeah. within yeah. the law um but 
yeah, someone uh, there was a promotion I saw down down in the south of England that used the wrestler who had accusations made out against them. There was an outcry on, on Twitter, as far as I'm aware, that person wasn't wasn't used again. Yeah. Um. So it's I, I think you know if uh, the social media means that you know there, there's good and bad to social media, but as far as kind of safeguarding people and looking out for people goes, you know it can be used as a positive tool in that respect as well. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, I'm in a way. I mean, you've obviously seen the seen the positive effect that it's had on, you know, or one promotion in particular for you. Um, do you think that other promotions will stick to it, or do you think it will? Do you think it could slide? I think it could slide, um, and I think that if it does start to slide, then there will be people, again, on your Twitters and your Instagrams, yeah. holding them to account. Um, there have been some some people who've done some tremendous work um, just to, to highlight things and to make people aware of what's going on and to kind of link things together and tie things together with, with different people. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's human nature that you you will kind of go back to you revert to type you revert to what you're used to and so the yeah the danger the 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 danger that the, there's a possibility that you know things could just revert to how they were before where it was a lot more lax um but i think i think now this has happened um it won't be the same again i think um you know we're 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 coming up this weekend to the to the 20th anniversary of 9/11. No one's ever, no, no one's ever flown a plane into a, a building like that happened since. But we still undergo a lot stricter security at airports um, when we're allowed to travel, of course. But, you know, oh. the, um, because of that, and and right, you know, no, nobody is, uh, nobody's going to to say you know an airport security agent. It's been 20 years since 9/11. Why have I got to take my belt and shoes off or whatever it's sure. we just un we understand that's the the world you know that at that point in time the world changed and i think at this point in time with british wrestling or, or not just british wrestling it's the, around the world it was it was wrestling the world yeah, yeah the, the wrestling world has changed yeah and and this is how this is how things are now and i think if there are promotions that don't abide by abide by those rules then they'll get called out um by fans by other promoters by whatever it might be and yeah you know it'll be then down to them how they want to react to things um i mean it is it's true like you say uh, and there even before speaking out there were people talking about this kind of stuff but then covid created the atmosphere that little bit of a buffer between people to be able to tell their own stories Definitely, and not have yeah. to see these guys in the dressing rooms or thinking shit i'm booked on a show with the so blah so it has definitely helped but um if if maybe we can go back a little bit and try and in going back kind of look forward so you, I, I said at the beginning of this that you are, you were the, I mean, still are really the, the voice of British wrestling in an era where it was absolutely golden. We had uh, the wrestling channel, yep. we had FWA, we had 1PW, we had Power Slam magazine, we had fucking Power <laughs> yep. Slam, man. We had, you know, uh, even Fighting Spirit magazine, you know, we, we had. 
you know, I, I, I couldn't wait to get my power slam. I couldn't wait to get my FSM. You know, I, I couldn't wait to see these, this stuff, you know, we, we, we were literally spoiled. You know, we had, I mean, I've got me FWA in a British uprising signed by Jerry. Oh, Lynn. great show. Yeah. You know, I've got me part two signed by Jody Fleisch. You know, it's now that, that show, I remember that after the, the British uprising one in, um, in York Horn, I had, I had, terrible flu that day i was absolutely dreadful and obviously i couldn't miss the show there's no way i was going to miss it and i just remember rocking up to the york hall looking and feeling absolutely fucking dreadful <laughs> um and that is why um at the, i think at the beginning either the very the beginning of the match or even before the match begins i get sent to the back so i can't interfere the real reason behind that was I could not manage. I didn't have, I, I managed to do a promo earlier on in the show, but there was no way that I was going to be able to be, go out there and be a manager and, you know, banging on the mat and doing all the stuff. I was absolutely fucked. So they're like, well, we'll do that. We'll send you to the back. Yeah. So I still got, still got paid the same blessing, but oh, didn't really wow. do an awful lot that day. Because you had a bit of a feud with Greg, the true Flamber. <laughs> yes. You know, going manager going manager. Yes. Yeah. That's right. And that was that. I mean, I, it was great fun, but at the same time, it was so difficult because I I found I well, it's, it's just so difficult being a babyface manager because you're essentially a promo and a cheerleader. And I remember um, Uprising Three, where we had um, Jimmy Hart as special guest referee for our match, and that just came back because he happened to be in the country. So uh, the FWA officials were like, well, do you, uh, do you want to come and do something? And so they got him. And from the from all accounts of the people who wrestled in the match, he was like the worst referee ever because he wasn't <laughs> a referee. But I remember talking him to him before the match and we ended up chatting for about an hour. So, you know, when the, like, time flies and then you get a get a, a knock from someone going, uh, guys, you're on soon. We're like, shit, we better get ready. But I remember him saying to me, because once you know, he knew what my role in this match was, and he goes, oh, man, babyface manager is so difficult. And I just thought, thank fuck for that, because if Jimmy Hart finds it difficult, yeah. then I suddenly don't feel too bad about finding it difficult. Um, but, yeah, I was put with Paul Birchall, because, I mean, I, I, I saw him at the FWA Academy and was, as everyone was, blown away by this guy and said, you know, I'd love to work with him. And then when they wanted to bring him to the main roster, um, they didn't want to have him talk for the simple reason that if you have, uh, you may have heard him do a few promos when he was in WWE, as the, especially as the pirate, but yeah. he's very posh. He was from Guildford in Surrey very, <laughs> and, and lovely bloke, but, but very posh. So the, the, the monster, the growling, snarling monster couldn't talk because as soon as he opened his mouth, he'd ruin it. Kills it, yeah. Yeah. Um, same reason the Abyss wore a mask. You look at his face and he's like got this, you know, very kindly, cuddly bear face. And it's like, that doesn't look like a monster. Put a mask on him. Um, so, yeah, so they, they had me with Birchwood to do that. And, and also just at the beginning to kind of guide him through if he got stuck or needed help with anything. And he was such a quick, natural learner that, you know, very quickly he didn't need me for anything like within the, the frame of the match and so i was just like a cheerleader and a promo guy um and, and until he he went to he went to the, the wwe but um but but yeah it was um 
it was great. I loved working with Greg. It was great fun. Um, he was someone who's always very receptive to any feedback as a new manager. We're, we're, I'm still in touch with him now. We're still great friends to this day. And yeah, we had it, we we had genuine, really good fun um, doing that feud. That's Maybe. crazy. Um, I remember like younger, the younger version of me being blown away by Birchill and how. And I, I as a you know, much younger version of me, you know, in what two thousand four or five maybe even a bit later, it just felt like he was can't miss. Mm. Remember seeing him, I think it was, now this, I'm, I'm not 100% on the name of the team. I think they were called Hampton Court. Yes, they were. I think, yeah. The he, Duke of Danger and his butler Simmons. His yes. butler, that's right. Yeah, he... Um, he and Buttercup the Maid. He messed them up in uh, in Broxbourne um, one one fine evening. Broxbourne you was love that. Place. We love place. that place, Broxbourne Civic venue. Hall, man. Oh, <laughs> such a good venue. Such a good venue, yes. That's where I first I got to see AJ Styles live. That was one of those things. It was, um, yeah, an absolute killer place. Um, I thought he was can't miss, and I'm not like, obviously, he made this move to WWE. They put him as a pirate and didn't really work out. Is is there anyone else that you saw that you thought this is this is the one and it didn't quite turn out? Yeah, I mean, with with Birchill, I think it was in the FWA and in Britain, in the, in the smaller rings, he looked enormous. Yeah. When he went to the WWE, he was still big, but he was like a medium-sized guy. So he he was like too big to be doing the to be with the cruiserweights, but he was too small to be like a a giant guy doing flips. Yeah, bearing bearing in mind that at this time in in OVW, you you've got Brock Lesnar doing a shooting star press. So he was in that awkward in-between place. But I mean, you know, tremendous wrestler. But I think, yeah, they just didn't know, they just didn't know what to do with him. Um, you know, after they'd put him with with Regal and Taylor to kind of and that was to get acclimatized to the to live to being a Brit living in the US. So you know, what better way than to put him with fellow Brits who've been there for a while. Um, but yeah, they just didn't quite know what to do with him. They tried a few things. Apparently, the, the from legend is that the that Vince McMahon was thinking of like a Long John Silver pirate and had never seen Pirates of the Caribbean and so didn't understand what this gimmick was about and, and mixed it. Um, other people that I think were kind of calmest. I I always absolutely loved as he was called in the WWE, Luke Harper. I thought he was just tremendous. I remember he, he when when the WWE came over to the Brighton Centre, I'd always go along and, and people would often think, yeah, why are you going to watch WWE at your local hall? Aren't you past that? But you, when you're watching these guys who you know, wrestle 300 times a year and you watch the little things that they do live that you wouldn't necessarily see on TV, you pick up and you learn so much and, and you can gauge things like you know, the merchandise that the crowds are wearing. And I mean, I, I remember watching the only time he ever came over to, to Brighton, but watching John Cena in the main event. And it was just so good to watch this guy who you know wrestles so many matches a year because he was a full-time wrestler still at this point and how he would wrestle a a safe style that meant that they could him and his opponent could go out and do the match you know day after day but still make it an entertaining match for people and it was fascinating to watch that but yeah watching Luke Harper there were just little things the way he'd sell things the positioning in the ring the interaction with the crowd that were, were tremendous and I think 
um, from well from listening to podcasts with interviews with with the man himself, it was that the the look that he had with the straggly hair and the long beard. Vince McMahon saw him as like a a, a southern hillbilly hick, and he was from New York State and couldn't do a southern accent. That wasn't who he was, and and just wasn't again wasn't kind of positioned right and then he went to AEW they repackaged him a little bit as a kind of a cult leader I still don't think they he, he obviously didn't he didn't hit his stride fully there because because of sadly what what happened with him but he is he is definitely someone that I I thought was was absolutely tremendous and they, they should and could have done more with do you um, think as well at the moment what with AEW signing the people they have yeah and with WWE seemingly making decisions that kind of don't make any bloody sense. Um, and, you know, do, do you think that it would take Vince McMahon completely getting the F out, basically, and getting some other guys in to take control for... W I mean, because we spoke about the attitude era being a direct result of them having to change things up and get better mm. because of the competition from WCW. I personally at the moment don't see that WWE are even going to, they don't even want to acknowledge. They don't want to even look at AEW to the point where they're even seeing it as a threat or whatever. Um, you know, do you think that could, I mean, it, WWE is a huge company multi-billion pounds or whatever but are they really fucking up right now i think it's yeah it's interesting it's yeah the the, the signing of punk and danielson is our generation's hall and nash in 96 um but it's a different world in that back in 96 it was all about tv ratings you wanted to get ratings higher than your rivals now obviously people still want to do that but the money now and, and money came from from pay-per-views back in those days now obviously they still do pay-per-views but ww do pay-per-views as part of of the network over here and peacock over over in america so sure. what they're interested in where they make their money are from network peacock subscriptions and from the the main money comes from selling tv rights and that TV rights deal isn't going to be up in America for I don't know how many years, but a long time. So they basically need to have a valuable product um, come renewal time. So so long as they've still got people watching, they'll they'll be okay. And I think in that respect, they wouldn't be as bothered as had this happened a, you know, a generation ago because there isn't the same direct competition. Um, like we, I, I do, um, as I mentioned before, I do you know, work with, with uh, Hooked on Wrestling and we do pay-per-view viewing parties. And we did SummerSlam um, at the end of August. Two weeks later, we did, we did All Out AEW. And... Um, it was interesting to see the, the, the difference between two. I mean, one was on a Saturday, one was on a Sunday, so that makes a difference anyway. But SummerSlam had about 30 40% more people in. Um, and I did notice, you know, there was a crossover. There were, there were people who, who came along to both. But, and we, we found this all around the country because we run parties all up and down the country in about, I think, about 
10 to 15 different venues for SummerSlam and about six different venues for AEW, the, the, the AEW crowd were a different crowd to the WWE. With, with, yeah, like a Venn diagram, a little bit in the middle, but generally sure. they're different. So I think so long as WWE keep their audience, and if AEW is bringing in like maybe a lapsed audience, the old WCW fans, the old TNT viewers, they won't be so bothered. If they start losing viewers to the opposition, which is what happened in um, the Monday Night Wars, then they'll get worried because that could then eat into their profit margins and then their TV deals. I think with the, the Monday Night Wars, when wrestling really boomed, the overall number of people watching both programs massively increased. So you had a lot of these lapsed or casual fans coming back and then it was a matter of dividing dividing them up. So I think if you look at the, the viewing figures of Raw before and, and after, yeah, the numbers aren't massively different. It's just then compared to WCW at the time. So um, so yeah, I think their their priority is going to be making sure that their their revenue sources stay stay in control, which is your subscriptions and your TV rights. And a trip to Saudi Arabia. And a trip to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so, well, I, yeah, which I never yeah. bother watching for a multitude of reasons. Yeah, so um, I mean, I you're right that I think the audiences are massively different, and until I think WWE does have a slightly younger audience. Yep. Um, they've got a huge amount of of you know, say maybe 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds and not necessarily that many younger people watching AEW. I do think it is more of a wrestling observer, New Japan pro wrestling kind of smarter fans watching yeah. AEW. Yeah. And it's definitely, it's a more adult audience. Yeah. They have, they yeah. have a bit of blood. They have a bit of bad language and promos. They, yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it is that, it is that audience. Um, and and the other thing that the WWE have got, of course, is you know thirty years of brand recognition. You you tell Absolutely. people wrestling, they immediately assume WWF. I think there was a time that Chris Jericho was on the talk show, and the caption said Chris Jericho WWE wrestler, and he was with AEW. So it's yeah yeah to the mainstream. Um, you know even even when when we had um, when we had uh, TNA come over here each year, and I, I so miss that. It used to be great. At the end of January, Wembley yep. Arena would be the last leg of their tour. Um, and they'd, uh, yeah, we'd, everyone would go, I'd, I'd, I'd get, because, um, I mean, there's one year when they brought a load of British wrestlers in. And uh, I mean, they, I, I'm good friends with the, um, the TNA UK reps. I always always got complimentary tickets anyway. But one year, um, to, to earn my keep, they got me to write all the profiles of the, the British wrestlers that went in the programme. So, yeah. yeah, if you ever brought a programme and got a profile of Will Ospreay or Big Damo or whoever else was on there, that was me that wrote them. Um, but, yeah, we yeah, so we it was great fun. You'd do, go to the show, you'd go to the, there'd be an after party in the bar upstairs at Wembley Arena or at the Hilton over the road, and everyone would get absolutely hammered and then fly, they'd all fly home the next day. Um, but it, it was just a, it was a great event on the calendar. But what they would, they would more or less sell out Wembley Arena, but the, the WWE would still sell out the O2, which is bigger, when they came to London. And even though TNA had a larger television audience because they're on free-to-view television. And Bravo. Uh, was it Bravo Alan, or was it, it 
I think they were on Bravo on, and Challenge at one yeah, point. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember them being on. Yeah, they're, they're yeah they're definitely on Challenge because that's when when Wrestle Talk came Talk off. TV, yeah. that's right. Um, but even though they got a bigger TV audience because of the better accessibility, the WWE would still do more in ticket sales because of the the, the brand recognition. Yeah, I used like Coca Cola, to... isn't it? Of of wrestling, it's like everyone knows what. You know, when people talk about wrestling, oh, the WWF, WWE, you know, or they'll still reference Hulk Hogan or someone like that. You know, it's what they they last saw back, you know, back when it was at its most popular for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I one. mean, yeah, I, I, I prefer, you know, in the, in the Cola Wars, I much prefer Pepsi Max to, to Diet Coke or Coke Zero. But, yeah, if I'm, if I'm, at, you know, if I'm at my pub quiz and it's my, it's my, uh, my turn to be the driver. I'll I'll after a diet I'll ask for a diet coke and even you know if I get Pepsi or whatever but yeah it's just that you 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 say yeah. you say coke and it's the same with wrestling you know to the outside world you say wrestling they think WWE man I, I, going back to those TNA shows I used to bloody love them shows I used to go every time they were in Wembley I'd go every single year yeah um and I know I think our mutual friend Len Davis was involved with the TNA rings and shipping yeah. them about. Yeah, the rings, the ring crew, the lighting and all the, yeah, I mean, Len, Len was absolutely ahead of his time when it came to, to the, the tech side of things. Um, I remember the shows that we used to do, RQW in the York Hall, and he'd have the crane cam zooming around. And, yeah. and he, yeah, he set the bar for British wrestling that we get today. Um, yeah, well, I've, I've done some shows where we've had like live internet broadcasts and we've had a big entrance rig, which um, a guy called Jack, who, who's still involved in wrestling, he was involved in the ring crew with Len as well. And yeah, you just have that, that professional quality um, camera work, the, the mixing desk, everything. And that, that didn't happen before Len. Yeah. I mean, RQW, shout out to Len Davis. I hope you're doing well. I know he's in hospital at the minute. So yeah, we wish him well. Um, but yeah, I mean, we 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 love that. Um, the, those TNA days, I used to go all the time, and they really did have a really good roster. And the the wrestling was of really high quality. I mean, you had guys, you had AJ Styles, you had Christopher Daniels, you had, um, but I think Nigel McGuinness was there at one point as well. Was um, what who was he? Uh, Desmond. Wolf. Desmond Wolf. Yeah, he was Desmond Wolf. Yeah, fuck it. I remember it's all coming back to me. I mean, uh, in front of me, I've got my Deluxe Impact um, figures on the wall. And, you know, they had a, a fantastic roster. Um, and the wrestling was really good at that time. But like you say, the brand recognition of WWF, um, you know, it was just that, that they would always sell more tickets. I mean, yeah. And, and that was the thing, even when they tried as hard as they tried, that TNA never felt like a viable number two, whereas I think in time there's a chance AEW could because you've got you've you've got the what you have to realise is that with with the fact that Tony Khan and and Shad Khan own Jacksonville Jaguars NFL franchise that opens massive doors in america that is why they are able to get that tnt deal because of the the, the connections they've got through that um and obviously you know, owning owning a, a um i was going to say premier league club but they're not anymore sorry no. fans. <laughs> only only a, a big only a big um 
a big football club who are nearly doing as, as well as Arsenal at the moment. Um, <laughs> that will, got more yeah, points in the journey. <laughs> yeah, that'll open, that'll open doors for them. So you've got, you've got someone who has, they, they are infinitely richer than Vince McMahon. And they and Tony Khan has a genuine passion for wrestling. Yeah, he's been an observer subscriber since he was a teenager, much like myself. Um, he was a tape trader as well, much like myself. Yes, yeah. I'm just a, tragically, I'm not the son of a billionaire, but you know, apart from that, we're almost <laughs> identical. Um, so yeah, you've got Ted Turner had the had the money to compete with Vince, but never had the passion, and you had. One of the many things with WCW is you had so many, you know, so many changes of own of not owners, same changes of of boss. Yeah. You had so you know so often, or you know, one week you'd be going to Dusty Rhodes, then it was Ric Flair, then it was Kevin Sullivan, then it was Bill Watts, Kip Fry, whatever. AEW is always going to be Tony Khan in the same way that WWE is always Vince McMahon. So there's that same thing of there's that one person that you ultimately you you will go to. Um, to get the okay for things. So it's set up better than any other company has ever been set up to, to rival the WWE. I'm, I'm very much an AEW skeptic. And that's not something, this is, you know, this isn't news for anyone that watches or listens. I completely get that they've got the absolute best tools to work with right now, like talent, everything like that. They've got, but it just needs to clean up. There's so much that needs work. Like, and it, I don't know. I'm not going to say it infuriates me because it doesn't, nothing like that. You know, it, it really does bug me when there are, there are things that could be easily ironed out, you know, silly mistakes, bad sort of bad timings and everything like that. Like it just, AEW could easily surpass, you know, already beat NXT week in, week out. Mm. It's, but once it started to beat NXT, that's all it was bothered about. It was still only bothered about beating NXT. They should have been hunting Raw down straight away. Yeah, and like, I think they will down. now. Now that they've they've got the guys they've got in, I think that that's yeah. taken it. I, I, yeah, that's taken it to the next level. And I think they've got the the intrigue of of mainstream fans now with with Punk and Danielson arriving. So I think they'll now be pushing on to to do that. So um, a lot of egos in one room, though. That's my only. That's my worry. There's a lot of. There's a lot of egos in in the room now. There's a lot of voices in the room, and they can't all get their own way. Yeah, and then that yeah, that's where it comes down to to Tony Khan as the boss man to 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 make put his decisions. foot down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I I do I do think AEW one thing that would really help them is the women's division. Um, if they could lift that up a bit, I mean, they're Britt Baker's doing all right with the strap hold, holding holding our own at the moment. Um, I mean, they've brought a, a, some other gals in, um, but WWF, WWF, WWE's got a really good uh, group of ladies. So um, it'll be good to see, you know, the, the, uh, the battle of the, the lasses. Um, yeah. And I think signing Ruby Soho is a great move because you, again, we've, we've said about people who didn't quite fit. You look at, you look at her, you look at, you know, the hair, the tattoos. She didn't fit in with the WWE to me. I, I can easily see that Vince McMahon would take a look at her and, and say, I don't get it. I don't get what, what this is about. Whereas AEW being a little bit more adult, as we've said, and a bit more kind of, you know, subculture, counterculture. You look at, you look at someone like Darby Allen, 
Um, you know, can you imagine a, a, a mixed tag team of Darby Allen and Ruby Soho and the people that they would attract? You know, re- yeah. wrestling fan, wrestling baby faces get get over by fans wanting to be them, and that is why you know John. Again, we'll go back to John Cena when when he came not what well, not even well, I was going to say when he came to Brighton, but even when he wasn't in Brighton and they were just still selling the merch, you would see so many people, mostly kids but some adults as well, with the t-shirt, with the hat, because they want to look like John Cena. Ultimately, they want to be John Cena. You know, he comes out, they'll do all the can't see me with him. They and that is for a baby face, that is your moment of just enveloping that crowd into wanting to to be you and therefore wanting to support you and therefore they you know they feel every every blow that you take when you're selling and that's why it's so important for a baby face to sell because the crowd will you know if you're doing your job right the crowd will fill that with you shift we're gonna i'm gonna shift gears on on you again dean um just quickly you've done a ton of interviews yourself like i've seen a few of them um I know you're particularly proud of your Bret Hart interview, and why wouldn't you be? It's a, it's a, it was an excellent one. Have you got a best and a worst? Anyone you've ever, anyone you've ever had an interview with, and you thought, and please don't say us. Like I know we're, you know, we've had our, we've had our tech issues. Yeah, had our tech issue, but um, yeah. Do you have a best and a worst? I mean, the the the, the worst ones, and I won't, obviously I won't name people here, but the, I think the the worst ones would have been where. Um, it's been obvious to me that someone has had like a list of 20 questions and there's been no, no interaction. It's just question one and they, you, you give an answer and it's like question two. And then, whereas what, yeah, with, with us here today, we've had a, we've had a conversation back yeah. and forth, you know, so it, um, as far as um, I think as far as best interviews that I have kind of have carried out. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Bret Hart, the Bret Hart shows were, were just very, very special to me, especially the first one was in my hometown of Brighton. Um, and I also had um, a, a dear friend of mine who I think we've known each other since I was about 10 years old. And he lives up in Scotland now. And he actually came down to visit for the, for, um, the week preceding. So he came along to the show and he, he actually came when, when the WWF used to run the Brighton Centre and Bret Hart was like the headliner, we would go to the shows together. So like to have that friend of mine come and, and be there and meet Bret Hart in my hometown meant yeah, that that'll live with me forever. So um and then I made Bret Hart cry, which wasn't the greatest thing. But um <laughs> he's he's an emotional I mean, ever since he had he's explained ever since well, I'll, I'll tell you basically I have when I'm interviewing people, I always I always ask like to ask the question if you could turn back turn, go if you could go back in time and change one thing, what would it be? Um and I remember I caught uh, I kind of caught Dixie Carter unawares with that, and she, in, in a, without saying names, she basically said she wished she'd never brought Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff into a TNA wrestling. But um, <laughs> so I, I asked that to Brett, and and I didn't I, I should have thought about it really, but um, there's only one answer I think that he was going to ever say, wasn't there? Yeah, and he basically just you know choked up and said, "I'd tell Owen not to not to go up on that." catwalk and and he started getting obviously getting upset and i just felt terrible and um and when we went backstage i I was so apologetic and and he was he was lovely about it he was just look don't worry he said it happened you're asking a question that was my answer 
don't worry about it. And I, and I just said, look, I won't ask that any any of the other shows, and I didn't. And, and but he was, he was brilliant. He was. Um, I've I've never ever known anyone have so much time for their fans. Um, like we did, we did this one show in Cardiff, and um, I think we ended up staying in the building till about half past one because he was just signing things for fans and chatting with fans and asking them how they were. And whenever, you know, if we're, we're walking down the street or one time we went into the Sky Sports News studios to do some stuff with them, he would get stopped for pictures or autographs by people. And every single person he would stop and, and take the time to, to fulfill whatever they wanted him to do for them. And yeah, that, that was, that was amazing. And because one thing that I've I've learned over over the years of being in this business is that the the fans of today, some of them will be tomorrow's wrestlers, um, and I can think I can think of so many people who people like RJ Singh, Martin Stone, Danny Birch. Um, I remember them being in the audiences of FWA shows. Uh, Andy Quilden used to be a regular at Walthamstow. Liam Happ, who does my podcast with me, he's he was a fan. And that, yeah, that that's where people's love of wrestling begins. So you, you know, you, you do get you do see some people who like, you know take the piss out of fans or, or or just think of them as an annoyance. And it's no, not only are they you know without fans, there's no wrestling. But without fans, there wouldn't be tomorrow's wrestlers and keep this industry going. Um, so yeah, um, I think another—I mean, another interview I did that was very good was uh, was one with Matt Hardy, where um, I did that over the phone. You could just again tell that the guy was really switched on and, and had recovered from his demons and was was in a place. And this was shortly before he um, he created Broken or he launched Broken Matt Hardy. With hindsight, he, yeah, with hindsight, he'd clearly thought yeah that character was in development at that time. Yeah. Um, but it was yeah, just great to you could kind of tell the the cogs were turning there. So yeah, there've been some there've been some good ones. Um, a, a lot of people like to shit on Bret Hart. Um, because they they they, I don't think they get where he's coming from. I mean, the amount of times I've watched wrestling with shadows is something that I just occasionally bang on and just watch it because. He really did love, I mean, myself and Jordan, as we say, we trained in wrestling. We we were trained by the new breed and we dealt with, um, you know, a, a lot of people in the UK industry and a lot of people always like to work heel. Um, but Brett was always, he he loved being that hero. He loved being that baby face that people could look up to. And he took it really seriously. He really yeah. did. And the whole Montreal screw job and him not wanting to lose in front of that Canadian crowd, you know, a lot of people shit on him for that. And, you know, it, it was, it was kind of sad at that time, you know, and when you see him in WCW, he was never, he was never the same after no, that. He really no. wasn't. It, and it's really sad because, I mean, I, I love Bret Hart. I love that heroic character that he had. And, I mean, as we said, you've got your Because WCW podcast and you would have watched a lot of Bret Hart in WCW and you're nodding in agreement. Do you agree that Bret was never the same after he left no. WWF? No, he was never the same. I think, you know, the combination of Owen's passing and... um and the, the screw job just 
yeah, just didn't. He, he wasn't the same afterwards, and, and I think he lost. He lost his his passion for. I mean, he he said during that time that yeah, he never he never enjoyed his time at WCW. He never got on with Eric Bischoff. He and yeah, as you say, he they they didn't know what to do with him. He no. he was basically um. He, I mean, they gave him. I can't remember the figures. He did tell us at the time, but yeah, they gave him a, a tremendous, tremendously high offer uh, per year. I can't. It was in the millions. Yeah, it was, he he basically. I think they yeah they it was something like they offered him a million pounds more than he was happy to accept. Crazy. And, yeah. So obviously he he did, but um, yeah. The, but I mean. People think, you know, for example, there that you hear, yeah, he's miserable. He hasn't got a sense of humour. I can absolutely confirm to you, he he has a very. We got on very well because both of us have a very, very dry, cynical sense of humour. So yeah, we got on great. I mean, what I remember one thing when when um if we had a radio mic at the show, I think most of them we did. I would do the old trick that stand-up comedians do. If I would introduce people you know, just say from behind the curtain welcome to an evening with Bret Hart please welcome your host for the evening Tristan Genius Dean Ayer so I'm introducing myself and for some reason he found that hilarious <laughs> um and like every time are you, are you introducing yourself again tonight yeah brilliant and he just he would he would sit himself down right next to me just watch and then try and so I'm trying not to piss myself laughing because Bret Hart is pitting himself laughing at me but yeah he, he, so he had a really good sense of humor but I think people need to remember that he grew up in a rest, well, not just a wrestling house or the wrestling house. Yeah. You know, bear in mind, you know, his his dad wrestled, all of his brothers were wrestlers, all of his sisters married wrestlers. Wrestling was their life. Yeah. Wrestling put food on their table. So you you had to take it seriously because it was your livelihood. You know, I wrestling is not my livelihood. I have a, a, a full-time job that pays me a decent living. Wrestling is is a passion of mine. If if wrestling so yeah, you know, if if wrestling was suddenly banned by the government tomorrow, it wouldn't affect my day-to-day quality of life. Obviously, my you know, my my mental health and everything else might decline, but as far as my you know, putting food on the table goes, that wouldn't be affected. Wrestling was their life. So it's he he grew up with that level of seriousness to the business. And then of course you had the dungeon down below where, where Stu would get these big American footballers who thought wrestling was all uh, bullshit or as Brett would always say was horse shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he'd stretch them out and show them that, you know, actually if you want it to be wrestling can be very real, you know, lots of, there are lots of holds. If you execute them properly, would do a lot of damage. Obviously you don't during the match, but that's not to say they, they can't hurt you. So, yeah, I, yeah, that that explains a lot to me. I, I, yeah, I, I think he was, he, he, you know, he he was absolutely within his rights to to be like that. Yeah, I always uh, give it's people fun. a wrist lock. That's the one I always choose if they say wrestling's fake. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, bang, get him in a wrist lock, and I'm like, oh shit, that actually hurts. I remember, yeah. um, yeah, I remember Dino Bravo had a trick that he showed where he could, um, he could get you down to the floor with one finger he'd basically put a finger somewhere on your arm some pre- i don't know where it is myself but some pressure point on your wrist or your arm and and you'd be like ah, and you'd fall to the floor yeah 
I think if the if the government banned wrestling, I think tape traded would come right back. <laughs> yeah, we'd all go back to the old uh, the old school way of uh, serious bootlegged paper pay per views and stuff like that. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's let's talk about because WCW. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, we've said this already. We said this, you know, even before we recorded, like. Chris and myself, massive WCW fans. We talk about it a ton on this show, like whenever we get to go back and review something, you know, even if it's a bad one, like sold out or, you know, really good ones, which, you know, they escape me right now. But, you know, <laughs> Wrestle War 92, which we haven't done yet, but we will. Oh, Wrestle War 92, tremendous. Yeah. Best war games of all time. And uh, you also get the Steiner boys beating the ever-loving shit out of this poor kid called Takeyuki Izuka. <laughs> um, we we uh we did Super Brawl, which um, which had Sting and Sting and uh, Luger against See the Steiners, yeah, against the Steiners, yeah. And that, have, that's one we haven't actually done yet, but someone someone is penciled in for that one actually quite soon for us. Yeah, that was a uh, match I mean, of the year, wasn't it? Yeah, match of the year, I think. Yeah, that one got that was uh that was a, that was an absolute stunner. I mean, with a terrible finish, but you know, this protect protecting everyone. It was quite good. What um what's uh what's go, what's coming up on Sorry, I'm losing my train of thoughts now. Like, it's like a Sting promo on the pay-per-view. It must be, yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely <laughs> gone. Uh, what's coming up on because WCW? Um, we've well, we've we've just had um, we've just had our hundredth episode. Apologies if I repeat myself. We had a good long chat before we started recording, so I may I'm, I'm not sure if some things some things I've said before we were recording or not. But anyway, um. Yeah, we've just we've just passed our one hundredth episode. Um, so we we just had an interview with Lance Storm um, to to mark that occasion, and that was absolutely fascinating. Um, we we can get that link underneath you. So yeah, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, he told some great stories there. Um, we um, we've got another another good interview coming up for our next episode. We've we've just actually yesterday we put out um, episode one hundred and one, which was one of our watch alongs. We basically we do. Um, we do pay-per-view reviews, which is normally with a guest, um, where we just talk about a show that we've previously all watched. Liam and I do Nitro watch-alongs, where we just watch along a, a, an episode in real time, and we're doing them in chronological order. So we're at the Disney MGM tapings of Summer '96 at the moment. It's getting, it's getting good then. We yeah, the <laughs> one that the one that we the one that we just did yesterday was the um, was the angle where the um, the NWO beat up people backstage with baseball feet, bats yeah. and uh, the, the, the lawn dart with Rey Mysterio. And it, it's, because I'd, I'd forgotten a lot of it you know, in the time that's passed. And it was really interesting to watch because they basically, for that one week, they fucked up their own TV show. They had a massive amount of time where there wasn't any wrestling, where they just had these cameras filming all these people lying around and people panicking and ambulances arriving they had the crowd the live crowd chanting boring because there wasn't any wrestling they had bobby <laughs> heenan walk out for his own safety in the long run that really was one of the main things that cemented the nwo angle as a, a big deal because it was like they had come in and screwed their show up and then they had these they had these standby matches so we had um eddie guerrero and big bubba um, which isn't a match you'd normally really see. And then it was meant to be the giant defending the world title against Arn Anderson. And it ended up being against Greg the Hammer Valentine, who would never <laughs> be getting a, a, a title shot normally. But it's like, well, we've got to, we've got to do something. So it, it was, 
we say it's the first is one of the first times that thing they they had a bit of real life into the into the show um because you had like sting being concerned for for not they didn't call him marcus alexander bagwell they called him mark bagwell mm. and they explained that they're good friends and, they, and that they train together in stings gym and i mean they're they're both baby faces so it was okay in that respect but it was like a lift a little bit of lift in the veil on a few things and and bobby heenan virtually breaks character he said i'm not going to do a wrestling interview i'm going to talk to you man to man he goes i've got neck problems i've got nerve problems in my wrist can you guarantee my safety? And Bischoff says no. And then they later on they say Bischoff is the he, they reveal he's the executive producer. So it's all the you know then it's a little bit lifting the curtain on reality, which brought that that era of things in. So yeah, we're doing those those Nitro watchlongs. We do we we've got a few guests lined up for pay per view reviews, um, but yeah, we've got very shortly we've got um, we've got someone who isn't a WCW alumnus, but is someone who has written a few books about it and is is quite a, a character. So we, that interview will be dropping probably next week to mark our fourth birthday. Um, and then we'll, yeah, we'll continue with the pay-per-views. And when we run out of pay-per-views, we'll do Clash of the Champions and we'll, we'll yeah, we'll keep going for, we, there's plenty left in the tank. A lot of the early 90s stuff is gone. And I think there's a lot of the later stuff is still around because people, people seem to, People seem to gravitate towards the early '90s or Halloween Havoc for some reason. People love a Halloween Havoc. Yeah, it, it is weird. I mean, I mean, we love the Halloween Havoc. We've we've done a, a couple of them. Do one um, in October time, yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Um, but we, you know, I I still collect wrestling VHS. I still I've got a huge amount of them. I still buy them to this day. Um, and the 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 problem is, I think. You have to with the network. WWE owns the entire WCW catalog, so yeah, uh, we. I mean, we have the network, both Jordan and myself, because we review past pay per view. So if we wanted to watch, you know, a WCW 1989-1990 show, chances are, you know, we, I might have it on VHS, and I watched the VHS copy. But on the VHS, there's a load of matches that are left off it. Oh and yeah, the- that's what. Yeah, that, what, that's what we've noticed. We've had a lot of people reviewing things because they remember having the VHS, and then yeah, they watch the main the main, main pay per view broadcast. And there's yeah, as you say, matches or moments that that yeah. went on there. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, we're I'm forever cursing um, Turner Home Video. Do you, you know, if I watch the <laughs> the VHS and Jordan's watched it on the network, I'm like, hold on a minute. What do you mean, so-and-so versus so-and-so? Well, you know, what, what's happening here? And to be honest, to be fair to, to Vince, a lot of Vince's tapes were double the length. So the WCW ones were maybe about an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes. But the, the Silver Vision Coliseum video ones are about three yeah. hours. So yeah. you, yeah, you get pretty shows, much... Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole thing. So, uh, no, it's great to hear because, like Jordan's saying, we love WCW. We, um, you know, we review their shows regularly. And some, nice. of us, some of us love it a bit more than others. Someone in this uh, in this little trio here has a, a framed poster of Thunder in Paradise on their wall. <laughs> yeah, it's right in front of me and it looks yeah. bloody beautiful. It's got Hogan with the patch. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. But it's, it's one of those things, you know, it's such a, it's such a, crazy story and i mean when we spoke to lance storm he was telling us a few just baffling things and the more you go into it the the more you go into it the more you find out the more you learn and the the more your jaw hits the ground at certain times i mean there's something i read 
the the other week that someone shared on Twitter, um, and I mentioned this to our to our guest um, when we because we've already recorded the interview. Um, well, I might just say so. R.D. Reynolds, the guy who did Death of WCW and WrestleMania. Great book. So yeah, I've got I've got the books. Yeah, yeah. Um, got, yeah. And um, and uh, he, yeah, it's basically he confirmed that he'd heard this one as well. But um, they they did a, a tour of Australia, I think, in about two thousand. It's the it's the one. Is the, this Hoovy's tour? Is it? It's the it's yeah. the yeah. I was going to say it's the Hoovy yeah. tour where he uh, ran around the he ran around the uh, hotel lobby, start naked, and when he was off his tits on GHB and said he was going to die or something. <laughs> um, but anyway, they they did like really good business. They they had. I think they sold like 9,000 seat arenas out every every time, even for like an episode of Thunder. But then they discovered that someone somehow had got this clause in the contract with the local promoter that WCW would buy back every unsold. Seat. I had heard this story. Yeah, they didn't make yeah. any money on the tour. They didn't. They didn't just not make money. They lost four hundred thousand dollars on a tour that they should have made a lot of money on. Now, yeah, I've I've worked on plenty of shows where where you have. A, I mean, the FWA did this a lot, where you have a local promoter, and the deal always works that the company, the FWA, for example, would would charge they charge a flat fee to the local promoter to say this is the cost of everything and that cost is you know the the cost of the ring uh the crew the the wrestlers the mc the referees all that you know their wages their travel expenses any accommodation expenses that might be needed whatever you you bundle all that together and you say you know my show is going to cost let's say ten thousand pounds then the promoter will take that Will, will pay that and then they basically take the ticket money so mm. then they know that you know if I, if I need to spend that amount of money then I need to make this amount of money on the tickets and and you know it's the promoter's risk and if he doesn't sell enough tickets then he loses money if he sells enough he breaks even or makes a profit crazy that's I mean that's I mean that's definitely the end of WCW in a nutshell really isn't it it's it's how it I mean Paying paying money to put on its own like tour in Australia and then coming home like short of pocket. It's a yeah, a terrible way to terrible way to end it for them. But yeah, no, we, I mean they I were paying movies tour. Yeah, it's they a, were paying people to sit at home. They were paying people yeah. that wrestled you know less than a handful of matches. You know, it was it it did end up a complete shit show. Um, of but behind the show, but there was still. On the show, there were still glimpses of, of great stuff going on. I mean, yeah, even on the last pay-per-view, what was it, Greed, that we Greed. Um, yeah, we, did. we did, you know, there was still great stuff going on with the cruiserweights. Yeah, this is the irony. We've we've said this on our podcast that the the last couple of months of WCW, the actual in-ring product was yeah. tremendous. It yeah. was going up, but the trouble was no fuck was watching because they'd all true. been turned turned off from the previous the previous months. But yeah, we did the show because we we were both we both loved WCW and even if we take the piss out of the bad things yeah we we do it with a you know tongue firmly in cheek and done so fondly because we you know we really we really liked it another another good episode we we had was um we did an interview with Guy Evans who um he's British boy lives in America now but he's the author of um 
the Nitro book. Um, I can't remember the, the exact. It's called Nitro, and then something else. I forget what it is. But it's it's a really in depth book. And the difference between that and every other wrestling book is he actually um, spoke to people who worked in the Turner offices. So people who had no connection with or knowledge of wrestling other than the fact that they worked in the Turner office, which which was the the owner of WCW, and talking about the 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 tv channel decisions and and the fact that like every year it was losing money and they didn't they they didn't want to keep it and ted turner wouldn't let them lose it because he because tbs always had wrestling on and yeah it's really that's also a really good book god international objects and shit like that yeah <laughs> dean you've been an absolute star we uh we thank you for all the time you've given us um just quickly before we let you go what's next for for hooked on wrestling um are there any plans to move one into hertfordshire we'd love to uh <laughs> love to drop um, by. the the next well the i don't believe there's there may be a survivor series party but there often isn't so the the next wwe one would most likely be the royal rumble um, but there'll be, I know AEW full gear is in the middle of November. Yeah. So um, that will be, that will certainly be one. Um, as far as, um, as far as like, you know, venues and going in, in Hertfordshire and that, um, you know, if, if you know of a, if you know of a good venue and you think there'd be enough people that would be up for going to it, then, then by all means drop, drop hooked on wrestling a line and we can see, we can see what Chris will do that. You know, I'll do that as well. I think Johnny Storm lives around the manor. I'm pretty he does. sure Johnny he lives does around, indeed. around yes, I, won't, I won't say exactly where he lives, but yeah, he does live in that neck of the woods. I, I, I see um, Yeah. Yeah. But bear in mind that the, the hooked on wrestling parties started with um do you remember joel ross who used to host wrestle talk yeah it basically started off with him and a couple of mates watching pay-per-views around his flat in camden where he lived at the time um and then a few more mates and then it like for a laugh it was fancy dress um and um, some someone actually showed it at the, at the aw party um a photo of like four people stood together in fancy dress in joel's flat and that was the first hooked on wrestling party and and it, it then it, it expanded and they said yeah do you think we could actually do these in a bar and then they ran one in london and it was a success and and it's it's grown and grown and grown but um yeah we've got good relations with the wwe uk and they i mean like we we for example on our raffle we have um we we get live live event tickets um so like in the uh, the SummerSlam party we gave away tickets for the the live event at the o2 yeah we have a relationship with them um we have a relationship with with aew as i said we're the only authorized people to show those part those those um pay-per-views at parties um you know the raffle we had last last week had uh, a genuine signed Rey Mysterio mask that we'd been donated as a prize. So yeah, we we get and, and we do a we do a weekly quiz every sun every Sunday night at eight pm on um, the Hooked on Wrestling Events Facebook page. We do um we do just for fun we do a quiz. But um, what we do is um, anyone who enters the quiz and, aren't, and and stays for the duration of the quiz, we enter into a draw. And each week we have a T-shirt from WW Euro Shop um, to give away. So. Uh, so it's it's yeah we have plenty plenty of our people have uh, have won free t-shirts off us and let's face it there's nothing better in the world than free t-shirts or a raffle 
Yeah, when we used to do uh, FWA shows in Morecambe, there would be times when the biggest pop of the night would be for the Morecambe raffle. You know, yeah. That's British wrestling in a yeah. nutshell, that. Love the raffles. <laughs> oh, mate, well, I'll tell you what, with the watch along, if it's fancy dress, um, I might uh, dress up as Queewee then, talking about <laughs> I can do me hair up, you know, some big pants. Love all that. Just don't land knees first on anyone's face, yeah. <laughs> it's been, no, thank it's you. Been, thanks for having fun. me on, guys. No, thanks. It's been really good fun. No, it's been fantastic. And like you say, you know, you you have been around from for, for many, many years and you've been here, you've seen it all, you've done everything backstage, in front of camera, commentating. Um, you've literally done it all. So, you know, it's just great to have you on someone and you know. When I hear your voice, I do, I see so many matches, man. And it's just, you know, thank thank you very much for just doing what you've done, man. Oh, you're very welcome. I remember the uh, the first time um, we had, uh, I think it was at a Dragon Gate show, and um, um, Mark Sloan had booked uh, one of the British wrestlers, he'd booked uh, Noam Dar. And, uh, and he, he heard me talk, and he came rushing over to me, and he goes, I've heard your voice on so many tapes, but I never knew what you looked like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Well, anyone who, who's done the same now, you know, uh, Dean Ayas, thank you very much, dude. Like I say, I mean, you know, we will be listening to uh, Because WCW and uh, Jordan, we need to get in on those hooked on wrestling quizzes, bro. Yeah, we need to get in on the quizzes. We need to try and find a venue so they can get something in Hertfordshire. Um Anyone that's still listening, still watching, remember to check out Because WCW or Hooked on Wrestling if you want to go and visit and see a live show or if you want to see Fight Nation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fight Nation Wrestling. It's yeah. got re- that the production value looks really good on that. I love what they've done with the set and everything. Oh, the lights and there. It looks yeah. tremendous. Yeah, I, really um, good stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really, it's really good promotion. So definitely worth, uh, worth checking out. Yeah. Thank, no, thank you, you so for having me, guys. It's no been, worries. Been wonderful. Thank you so much for sticking around. We uh, can't appreciate it enough. Um, take care, man. Good to see you. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. Okay. Cool. Good man. Thanks a lot, Dean. Honestly, sorry about the the bullshit with the uh, technical. Oh, uh, don't I think, worry. It happens to us all. I think we managed to cover pretty much everything that we did in the beginning. I think. I think we managed yeah, more, to recap yeah. it. More or less, apart from maybe a bit about the, the foreign guys over in Britain, but that wasn't a major point anyway. But that no, was, no, no, that was, that was, uh, no, it was good, good fun. Do you know, it's, it's good because it wasn't just like, oh, tell us about how you got started in wrestling. Tell us about this. It's, we hate it, it that question, gen- man. We hate it. Was it. Gen- it was generally just about kind of chatting about how things are now and relaying it to his- wrestling history. And that it was really, yeah, it was, that, that, that was good. It felt like something different. Like, we, we generally like, we hate that question anyway. Like, how did you get started? Like every, they like, tell everyone that anyway, like they, it, like we prefer that it comes out naturally. And it, for, for us, it did with you, because you said you talked about Hammerlock in 93. Yeah. With, with Doug Williams and stuff. So it was, it's yeah. a, it's a nice way to get in there. And that all came about from tape trading. Yeah. Because, um, I was a tape trader and, and one of the people who got tapes off me was um, before he was known as this, but it was Alex Shane. And then oh, he said, okay. um, he said to me, I'll come down. Do you want to come down to Hammerlock? They're doing these trial training sessions. And so um, I went down with him and that, that mate, I said, who came along to the Bret Hart show, my mate who lives up in Scotland. He was the other person who came with me. 
So there was there's four of us. There's me, my mate Mark, Alex, and um, you know, um, have you heard of a guy called Adam Man- Adam Mansfield, Muscles Mansfield? He's a, a British wrestling veteran as well. Okay. Um, he'd be a good person to get on. He's he's him. He's helped train loads of people over the years. Um, and um, and yeah, and it just it, that's how I I kind of made connection with with real wrestling people because that's where I met Andre. That's great, man. Is I mean, it, we we could probably chat with the amount of FWA, one PW, the amount of shows that we've seen, and you know, even live shows. I mean, Jordan was actually at International Showdown. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. so, yeah. I got I got dragged out of work early by a mate who said oh, I've just booked tickets like on the day. And he said, like, he came and picked me up from work before I was meant to finish and said, look, we need to go. Like, if we want to be there on time, we're leaving now. So I snuck out of work. And it was uh, it was still about an hour and 20 minute drive. <laughs> Fantastic. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a really great time, that was. Yeah, we've all done. I remember, I remember um, when, I was a, when I was a kid at school. Um, now, what year? It would have been, actually, it would have been 90. It would have been March of 93. So I would have been uh 16 17 something like that and i had to ask my uh my teacher at school if i was allowed to leave school a bit early to go to um wembley arena to go to the, this wcw wrestling show and and he said yeah all right then because i was a i was a good kid at school generally so they let me in and yeah. that was where vader lost the world title to sting oh he lost it he won it back then he won it back in yeah. dublin but that was the night he lost it so yeah, yeah. we witnessed the, the world title change hands on on a house show admit it at the time i wasn't happy about because i was a huge vader fan but then uh, when you realize how big it is did they recognize that yeah 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 absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah and um and yeah and i remember my teacher seeing me the next day and he was like was it good and i was like oh my god the world title change hands that's never happened in the history of wrestling ever ah and yeah it was uh it was good, yeah. It's things, it's things like that. They just you, that's where you get your passion from. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's yeah. man. Uh, I think we could do this all night, but like I say, <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't. We but... we um we really what we we've spoke about a million times reviewing international showdown or some FWA shows because you know we like I say we were trained by um Paul Ash and yeah. um Phil, Phil. you yeah. know so. Uh, we also, uh, do you know Sunset Skip, Rich Whitehouse? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so famous, we were trained. Well, yeah, yeah. Rich and Famous, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rich and Famous, yeah. yeah. So that's what it was his original thing, you know. So we we really want to review some old FWA stuff, um, you know. So maybe we might give you another shout at some yeah, point. Yeah, sure. No, um, and get you in on that. Like, no is... surprises, a show like that or, you know. Yeah, because, so... oh, is that, if... um. No surprises. Was that no surprises? Three or four? The one that's got Jody and Flash. Yeah, well, yeah and, one um, of the. I've got both of them on tapes of the strong style. You know the strong yeah, yeah, style yeah. tapes. Because I've someone's uploaded them. them all onto YouTube now as well, haven't they? I think that's right. Um, but yeah, if you um, I, I did a I did a lot of stuff on um, no surprises four, and there's yeah, I, I, I would have a great story to tell you about the Drew McDonald Dave Taylor match as well, actually. In fact, there's so many stories about all of that. Let's let's pencil that in for some Honestly, time, man, somewhere it, down the line incredible. because yeah, there's so that. many there's so many little stories I can tell you about that show. Actually, oh man, we we love it. We we really, you know, I'm not sure if there's many uh, podcasts or video casts that do reviews that actually 
done by British guys that actually talk about British wrestling. I'm not sure if they're no, I'm aware of no. There's there's none, you know, and we we literally we try and talk about it as much as we can. So um it'd be great to do some FWA reviews of you because you are the man for that shit, you know. Yeah, that'd and, be good fun. The one PW stuff as well. If we could get you in, that would be great, man. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll pencil something in down the line, right. definitely. Yeah. Cheers, Dean. Cool. All right, guys. Appreciate really your time, buddy. Thanks You're a lot, welcome. man. Take care. Cheers, bye, bye bye. Bye bye. So yeah, that's it. Thank you so much to Dean for coming on and talking about his experiences and his his shows and his ventures like Hooked on Wrestling. That sounds amazing. If you're not already checking it out, go and check it out. That's all I can say about that. Uh, thank you so much for listening, for watching, for sticking around. we got some amazing things coming up. We cannot quite mention them just yet. We will get to it. Mate, we, we've got so much shit going on. So Dean, Dean Ayas is the fucking man for British wrestling. He is the voice of a generation. You know what I mean? Like I said in Step Brothers, uh, he, I've been called the songbird of a generation. He is the voice of a generation of British wrestling for, for a good few years. So we've got more British wrestling guests coming up. But we, like Jordan says, we have got, great guests coming up but we have got some very big announcements but we can't quite spill the tea just yet but we it will be happening very soon and um we cannot bloody wait so so thank you for sticking around thank you for listening watching remember to hit those buttons slap the bell our bells touch our bells caress the bell (laughs) do whatever you want just make sure the bell is touched do it you know listen follow you know you know the socials by now they're on the they're on the video if you if you can watch watch it and see it if you can't at chat grapple pops for facebook instagram and twitter you can't miss us we're all over it we're everywhere check the stories we're always doing something whether or not it's fun or not that's for for you to decide if you love it if you hate it we don't care just thank you for sticking around thank you for watching we're about to go take some beacon improve our promos